Hi, my name is Laura, and I am gratefully recovering from marijuana addiction in this program. I would like to open uh, my share tonight um, with the prayer that I wrote when I did my third step. God, I am powerless over many things. I humbly surrender to the highest good. Let me hear your voice above all else and attune to your divine vibration. May I be your channel here on earth gently. Amen. Um, I want to say hello to everybody who's listening and express my gratitude to the program of Marijuana Anonymous, to the people who started and have kept these phone lines going, and to everyone who carries the message. I want to give a special welcome to newcomers and those returning to the program. I invite you to open your hearts and minds to what we have to offer and don't give up before the miracle happens. Yesterday, I celebrated two years clean and sober, and um, to be of service and to honor Step 12 to carry the message, I'm grateful to share my story and my journey uh, from a hopeless life to a life with hope. You know, I can only keep what my higher power and this program have given me by giving it away to other marijuana addicts, and so I keep showing up. So to talk about what it was like for me, um, I was an only child in a middle-class family with two parents who really loved me, but later confessed that they realized after they had me that they weren't cut out to be parents. My dad was a workaholic, a rageaholic, and was probably an alcoholic. And my mom was a perfectionist and really struggled to deal with anything that was outside how she thought the world should be. And so my, my reality was frequently denied, and I really learned to shut myself down as a child and try to be, you know, who, I, who it seemed it would work that I would be. Um, on the outside, everything looked perfect. You know, there was that whole fantasy of functionality even as a child. Um, but I lived a life of intensity, and it's not one that I really realized was so intense until these, you know, last couple years in recovery. Um, I was either smothered with attention or I felt utterly alone. Um, I would have times of joy and times of great despair. Um, to be honest, I was pretty spoiled, selfish, and I was definitely highly sensitive. Um, I was teased because... By fifth grade, sixth grade, I was already five foot ten. Um, I was teased because of my last name, and I had a large um, birthmark on my face that um, I received a lot of teasing about. And my parents finally let me have that removed when I was age thirteen. Um, I just really didn't feel like I fit in um, with the other kids, and I found a lot of peace in um, music, whether it was listening to music or uh, learning to play a couple different instruments. And I really um, used my intellect. Um, I don't think I, I mean, I played and stuff, but I feel like I had a very adult-oriented relationship with people. Um, and I also developed a very early interest in boys. Around age 15, um, I discovered marijuana and alcohol were amazing social lubricants and really helped to ease my pain. And um, 
continued with those for 38 years. Um, in high school, I drank more than I smoked marijuana because it was easier to get a hold of it. Um, I was able to buy beer back in the day on my own because I looked older than I was. Um, I was a pretty angry and rebellious teenager, um, and I was in the top 3% of my class learning how to lie, manipulate, and control people with my thinking, my anger, my people-pleasing, and learning how to deal with the opposite sex um, in ways I'm really not very proud of. I used marijuana off and on over the years, um, but there were definitely signs of addiction all along the way. Um, when I started college, I had to take my tests high because I had studied high. Um, I smoked often while I was pregnant with my first child and intentionally conceived my second child and could not get over my selfish desire to get high and drink at a New Year's Eve party. And I smoked when I was home alone with my children, and I really didn't think there was anything wrong with it. So fast forward three college degrees and into my second marriage. Um, now, you know, have two children, and I'm basically a workaholic, alcoholic, rageaholic, codependent, um, who occasionally smoked marijuana. And um, time came that when my oldest graduated from high school, uh, moved with my second husband to a county in Virginia known as the marijuana capital. So you can probably see where this story is going. Um, I got jobs I didn't have to be drug tested for. And I lived in the country where um, basically I could smoke any time. I could go right outside my back door. Nobody was going to smell a thing, see a thing. Um, and, you know, the, the place where I lived, it was often joked that a hippie bus broke down there in the 70s and the people never left. So that was just a real um, a wonderful place for me to be. <laughs> um, but I started journaling um, not long into that adventure that I might be an addict, and then I'd conveniently forget. But I sure thought that marijuana just took me to some amazing places spiritually. I, I felt really connected with the universe and at one, and it's like my head would finally shut up when I smoked pot. So I went on to graduate school and finished that, and I got separated from my second husband and moved back home, um, opened my own business, and I started dating someone new after I divorced my second husband. On my first date with him, I said, you know, there's something I need to tell you. Um, I do use marijuana medicinally. And he said, oh, that's okay, as long as you're not an addict. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm living alone, and I bought my first bong. And um, that was pretty much off to the races. And a friend of mine was de dating a, a dealer who kind of like was now I'm into the like realm of gourmet pot, and I can kind of pick, pick what kind I want. Um, and got into some that was a very high THC content. And... Um, I just used more and more. I started thinking about it earlier in the day when I was working. Um, 
I tried to control it, but I couldn't. I'd say I'm not going to smoke before 10 a.m. on the weekends. I'm not going to smoke on, you know, weeknights. I'm not going to um, smoke more than six hours before I have to be at work. I'd start waking up in the middle of the night to smoke pot, you know. I'm just going to take four hits. Well, it got really bad, and... Um, it got to the point where I really just either wanted to die or figured I was going to die of like throat and lung cancer pretty soon. Um, and I just became super, super ashamed of how much pot I was smoking and how much it was taking over my life, but kept believing that it was this magical answer to all my problems too. So um, a lot of life stressors had come up by this point and um, had gotten married again for the third time. And I tried to stop a lot of times and I'd always say, at the end of this bag, I'm going to stop. But I found that the withdrawals were too hard. Um, I, I just, I couldn't do it. Um, so I spent an intense, probably six to nine months um, praying for my addiction and my anger to be removed and my husband had major major surgery and had no pain and I'm and because we had a, a bunch of people were praying for him I was like wow I man if God can do something like that maybe it's possible that I can quit smoking marijuana and God will get me through these withdrawals so around this time, I'm thinking all of this, um, I guess I had downloaded the MA app, and I read step one, and I was like, oh, my God, this is my story. These people know me. Like, this is unbelievable. And I really came to see that I had a serious, serious problem. And um, I don't know if it's still in existence, but the, the MA online um, district had a chat room and I would get in the chat room on my lunch break and say do y'all know what to do about withdrawal because I don't know how to stop and they would you know tell me what they had done and it just made me hopeful so um, I'm trying to get to the end of my using I'm down to just trying to do um, edibles by this point and um, on a Friday night, desperate not to, to smoke anymore, um, I called into the 10 p.m. meeting, the phone meeting, and I heard a message of hope, and I heard people that had clean time, real, actual people that were doing this. And I really believed it was possible. And I used one more time the next day with some brownies that I had burned so badly, I had to soak them in milk, and even then it was nearly impossible to bite them. But I was that determined I was going to keep using, you know. Um, and I finally did it. I said, today's the day. And two days later, I had um, a beer, and I felt woozy, and I thought, oh, my God, I can't drink either because this is like the same kind of thing. So the withdrawals were hard, but what I heard on the phone lines was, are you willing to go to any length? And that really stuck with me. So I dug in, and 
I got on meetings every single day. I started writing out my first step before I even got a sponsor. I got a sponsor. Um, I got rid of my pot in the middle of a bag. Imagine that. Um, I got rid of my paraphernalia. And then I stopped communicating with the woman who was my best friend for 34 years because when I wrote out my first step, she was synonymous with marijuana. And that almost broke my heart to have to stop being friends with her. But I knew that if I hung out with her, I was going to go back to that hell I had just narrowly escaped from. I stopped the people, places, things, and situations associated with using. I identified triggers and made contingency plans for my triggers. Um, I made replacement habits for things, times when I used to use. So what am I going to do when I get home at the end of the day now? What am I going to do when I get up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep? All of these things I had to figure out. What could I do instead? Um, For over four months, I attended one or more meetings every day. I attended an MA land meeting over an hour away from um, where I live. I started attending land NA and AA women's meetings. Um, I had a notebook and I wrote down things that I heard in the meetings. I made a list of recovery slogans. I kept a log of my meeting attendance and step work so that I could see. I keep showing up. I'm doing these things. I'm taking action. I'm hearing people on the phone lines. I got a day. I got 10 days. I got two years. I've got whatever. Or I've been out and I'm coming back because it's no better out there. And so I'm listening to all of this, and I'm just taking this in, and I'm feeling encouraged that this program works. Um, I wrote down every single phone number that was given out at the end of meetings, and I started reaching out to people, both people who had more time than me and people who had less time than me. I prayed. I reached out to fellows in the program. I got on a meeting or I read literature when I had cravings to use. Um, I reminded myself over and over that the withdrawals were going to end. Just like, you know, I'd look forward to, let's say, a vacation in the past. That came and that went. I'm hearing on the phone lines, withdrawals do end. Um, And so I just kept hanging in there in spite of having the shakes and the sweats and anxiety, insomnia, anger, loss of appetite, you name it, you know, it was rough. Um, One thing that I really hadn't anticipated is that I had to let go of my old identity as a hippie chick. And that was really painful. That had been a big part of my identity, excuse me, as a pot-smoking hippie chick. You know, it kind of like all was part of the package. And I had to figure out who am I now, you know, um, I had to stop listening to music that reminded me of smoking. And um, I learned to play the tape forward. Um, when I would talk to my sponsor, she'd say, okay, play the tape forward. And it didn't take me long to figure out, okay, so I'm going to get high, and then I'll be so high that I can't think, and I'm still going to have the same problem I had before I got high. And now... 
I can't do anything. So what's the point? Um, I heard uh, things like, I don't think I have another recovery in me. And I'm like, well, crap. If I've already used up the only recovery I've got in me, the only time I can really do this in my life, do I really want to take a chance of going back out? No. I really listened intently when I would hear, and I still do, hear stories of, you know, people new to the phone lines, um, people who have relapsed, and people who have done what we call research, which means I went out there to see how it was, and guess what, I'm back. Um, and I remember early on, it really used to piss me off when people who had been around for a while said, oh, we love hearing about you newcomers coming in because now we can remember how bad it was. <laughs> and now I, I'm grateful to hear those stories and, and I'm grateful to be here to support newcomers in getting themselves into the program. Um, I learned about um, how I can get to a relapse, but it's not just a re- just straight to I'm smoking pot. A lot of times it's become emotionally unstable, and then I start thinking about it. Then there's the relapse. And I've also learned that I'm basically an all-purpose addict, and, um, you know, there's a, a thing in the book, I don't, there, we do have a, a one meeting a week that's on the dangers of cross addiction, and I've really learned that there are any number of substances and, and behaviors that are addictions for me. There are ways that I try to avoid reality, and it all leads me to feeling the same way, which is kind of insane. I remind myself that this is an incurable disease of the brain that I have to treat on a daily basis. And that treatment means work in recovery for me. I get a daily reprieve based upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. That is how this works for me. And then one thing I did as I was wrapping up my first step was I wrote a goodbye letter to marijuana. And that kind of summed up like, what I thought marijuana had done for me, but here's what you really ended up doing for me, and I don't need you anymore. And that was really helpful to look at. Um, I also asked my husband to write uh, what it was like for him when I was using, and that was really eye-opening to to see and to remember what that's like, how, how my using affected people that I care about. So, you know, a couple months in... Um, I basically, my nervous system kind of shut down on me. Um, I had been, you know, not sleeping and my anxiety was really bad, et cetera. And I ended up having to take a week off of work just to be, like my brain wouldn't even function anymore. Um, and I just needed to rest and stop trying to push so hard. So that's what a lot of this program has been about for me too, is to stop pushing so hard. So I've seen gradual improvement with some ups and downs over the last couple of years. Um, I did hit a roadblock uh, about nine months in, and when I got to step six, you know, am I willing to have these defects of character removed? And something in me was like, I don't think so. 
and um, these character defects are defense mechanisms. And I said earlier that my mom doesn't like to deal with things outside of what she thinks reality should be. And my marijuana use was keeping me from seeing something about my partner that I hadn't wanted to see. And when I hit nine months clean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I discovered something that um, just sent me reeling and it it felt like my life fell apart. But I didn't use over it. I remember that day, um, embarrassed to say, screaming at him saying, I'll be damned if I'm going to use over this. Um, So I do see that what happened now was a gift um, and that, you know, my higher power had waited until I had gotten some recovery under my belt to be able to deal with this. Um, And so I've become involved in another program um, as a partner of of someone with with his uh, issue. But um, this is really helping me to break through a lot of my codependency and uh, my character defects. So there are some key concepts that... um, I, as I you know, was thinking about this today and, and praying about it, um, there are a few things that, that really struck me as um, keys to my recovery. Um, and one thing is acceptance. Um, it was a couple months in, and somebody read from the AA Big Book, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And... That really hit me because I came to recognize how much I resisted um, reality and how much I had to stop living in the fantasy that I had made up for myself. I lived in so much of a fantasy that I didn't know I lived in a privately defined world. Um, And I had to come out of denial about being a marijuana addict. I remember at the beginning it was very important for me to get on and say, I am a marijuana addict, and to hear myself say that and to be heard saying that so that I could really get it through my head. Um, Just like a deaf person can't perceive sound correctly, addicts can't perceive pleasure correctly, and it does cause impairment to some different um, areas of the brain. And I really have to accept that, that I have a disease that has to be treated. And um, if you haven't read A Doctor's Opinion, I highly recommend um, reading that. Um, It helps me to go back and read the whole thing over again periodically just to be reminded of this disease aspect of this. Um, I have to be willing to see that usually the only problem is the story I'm telling myself about what's going on. It's usually not what is going on. (laughs) Um, Willingness has been another big thing for me. I have to be willing to go to any lengths. I have to get over being right and thinking that I have all the answers. My willingness also involves being curious about things. Um, Am I willing to think something different than what I've thought in the past? 
Am I willing to do the hard things? I've learned a lot about how I've expected people to do things for me and then complain when they don't do them like I like them to. I also learned that I was stuck in blame and self-pity. And um, it feels really empowering to change the things that I can um, to really follow the serenity prayer. I have to surrender to my higher power, to the principles and the tools of the program, and to take G-O-D, good orderly direction, from my sponsor. I have to surrender my terminal uniqueness. I'm not that special, and it feels pretty good not to be so special anymore um, or to believe that I am. Um, it, takes a lot, it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, I have to turn over the things that I can't change. And one thing I have recognized is that the magnitude of a breakdown that I go through, and I've been through some pretty big breakdowns in recovery, usually indicate the size of the breakthrough that I have. That has really saved me a lot of times. It's become a pretty automatic thought now. When I start really going into the pit, I'm like, okay, something good's coming. You're going to break down. This has got to fall apart in order to build something new. Humility has been another key thing for me. Um, I have to get right-sized. I love the big book, the AA big book talks about uh, if only all the actors in my play would do what I want, like life would be okay. I don't get to play God Jr. I'm not in control of any of that. Heck, I can barely be in control of myself. Um, humility for me means that I'm not going to collapse into shame and self-loathing and um, just really being super critical of myself. Um, and it means not being filled with pride either. So it's, again, getting right-sized. And then the last key to um, my recovery has been connection with God and myself and with others. I've really had to learn to allow other people to be there for me and accept that sometimes what I can get is good enough. Um, I did separate from my partner um, about six months ago and recently had to go through a medical issue um, in the era of coronavirus without my partner. And it was hard. It was really hard not having somebody be there for me physically. Um, but I really learned how to show up for myself and to allow people who said, how can I support you to be there for me and to accept whatever that help was and to learn how to ask for what I need. Um, as far as connection goes, I'm trusting people more but not being blind about it. I'm being more forgiving and having boundaries. Um, 
I'm being connected to my fellows, and that is definitely an area that I struggle with, um, is reaching out to other people. I'm in a helping profession, and by the end of the workday, I'm pretty spent with talking to people. Um, but I can do better with that. Um, and as far as connection goes, I've really gotten into doing loving-kindness practice, um, which is just these phrases of kindness and wishing well for myself and for other people. And um, also praying for other people to wish for them what I pray for myself. And the last thing with connection is that I love this program because it is a big, to me, it's a big fishbowl. And we have the steps, which I've heard the steps are there to keep us from committing suicide and the traditions are there to keep us from committing homicide. And I have to remember that we are a bunch of marijuana addicts trying to stay clean and sober and work a program of recovery. And so I've been pretty involved in service work. And um, I have learned so much about how to get over myself. Um, I've learned about what a group conscience is and to be willing to surrender to what the group conscience is, even when it's not my way, um, and to learn about principles over personality. That has been really huge for me. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of all the opportunities, and, and any time I feel a little triggered by um, someone else, I really have to remember that when I'm pointing one finger, I got three fingers pointing back at me and I need to look at myself. So I'm going to close with um, the end of how it works and I'm going to change it a little bit. I am encouraged. I am not a saint. This program isn't easy, but I can make it simple if I surrender and use the tools and principles. I strive for progress, not perfection. My experiences before and after entering recovery have taught me three important ideas. I am a marijuana addict and cannot manage my own life. My own power cannot relieve my addiction. My higher power has and will. If I continue seeking it, and keep coming back. I hope you will too.